You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We have been journeying through this uh, uh, series for the past month and today being the first Sunday of uh, November, it's also a very significant time for us because as a church, we are celebrating uh, 18 years of Victory Alabang. We actually planted our church 18 years ago, believe it or not, November 1, 1998. So can you please tell the person beside you and greet that person, happy anniversary, church. All right, it's our anniversary this uh, this. Uh, this Sunday, and actually, uh, we're celebrating also, I think, second year for us here at the Akasha Hotel. And so, just to give us a quick uh, recap where we've been so far, we've talked about the parable of the sower. We know that the focus of that parable is not really about the soil, although we know that there are four kinds of soil that represents four hearts, right? And, uh, but really, the emphasis of that parable is about the one who sows the seed, which is the Word of God. Secondly, we talked about the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. This basically talks about that the kingdom of God is advancing. Though you don't see it in the natural, with the natural eyes, we know that it is forcefully advancing behind the scenes. Amen. God is doing something in our lives, in our family, in our community, and more importantly, even in our nation. Amen. So we know that there is a transformational thing that happens when it comes to the kingdom of God. Next is the prodigal son, which can actually also be retitled the prodigal sons because it was not only the, only the younger son was lost, but even the older son was kind of lost even when he was living with his father because he thought of himself as a slave, slaving through all those years because he did not realize that the more important thing is not about his service, but about the relationship that he had with his father. And then last week, we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Everybody say Good Samaritan. And we talked about our service for God. And being a Good Samaritan does not give you eternal life. We know that. But having eternal life should make us Good Samaritan. Amen. So the Good Samaritan basically is a proof of our relationship with God. And today we're going to be looking at the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And this is a very interesting parable, uh, sometimes very uh, controversial in the ways on how God presented this parable for us. So I'd like to invite us to open up our Bible to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be reading the Word of God uh, together this morning. So Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the, the ninth hour, he did the same, and about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? He said to them, because no one, or they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. 
And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the preaching of your word this morning. We ask that you would bless our time. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate your truth, speak to us. Uh, and I pray that you will take home something uh, from you that we will apply in our daily lives. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. How many of you think that that parable is actually rather interesting? You know, that, you know, somehow if you were in the shoes of those vineyard workers, you'd probably say, especially if you start at 6 a.m. in the morning and you've worked the whole day, you'd probably say, wow, it's unfair. You know, why does this guys who worked last receive the, the same amount as we did? And so this is actually a very interesting parable that somehow was precipitated or was triggered by a certain story uh, in Matthew chapter 19. So it was not a standalone parable. When Jesus said this parable, it came out from a conversation with some of his disciples. And so how many of you know that it is important for us to know the context where Jesus is coming from? Why did he say this parable? Why is he talking about this parable? And what is the meaning of you know, the, the master of the vineyard when he gave everybody like equal share and equal pay for the different labors that they've actually given to the vineyard. Now, how many of you are workers? Please raise your hand. You're an employee or you're working. You're not IBM. Istambay muna. Okay? You're working. You have a job. Okay? You're earning. Okay? We know that we get paid in accordance to our labor. In fact, every year we actually have performance appraisal. For those of you who have an HR department, they actually appraise your work and your increase or adjustment to your compensation or salary or even bonus or maybe a promotion is based on what? It's based on the competence and the promotion or sorry, and the performance that you have done whether this year or in the previous years. Isn't it so? But what will you feel if suddenly... Out of the blue, your janitor in your company became the CEO of your company tomorrow and you report to him. What would you feel? Tan, 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 tan. This is really coming from the context of a story that happened in Matthew chapter 19, which we've read, uh, which, uh, you know, we've read Matthew 20. And so, this is a story of the rich young ruler, which many of you are probably familiar with. Now in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, allow me to just read so that we can actually study the context where Jesus was coming from when he shared the story or this parable of the workers of the vineyard. And behold, a man came up to him, and this is 
the rich young ruler. In another version, it, it says there. And so he said to Jesus, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, what did he say to Jesus? All these I have kept. What do I still lack? So he, he was talking about his performance. He was talking about his service unto the Lord. He was talking about somehow I've contributed so much in my walk with God, so to speak, or in my religion, that I feel like I am qualified to go to the kingdom of heaven. Are we getting the point this morning? And so what should I do more or what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, what did he say? Go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away, what? Sorrowful, because he had great possession. Now my question for us this morning is, did the man really obey the entire commandments? I don't think so, because Jesus was actually exposing what is an idol in his heart. The man refused to give up his wealth to follow Jesus, which means that he was not willing to follow the entire commandment. Part of the commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, we've you know, studied this when we were talking about the series 10. We basically talked about, you shall have no other gods before me. And we are seeing that in this particular scenario that this rich young ruler was not willing to give up what was an idol in his heart so that he could follow Christ. So there was like an exposure here. So somehow this story did not end there because Jesus actually used that situation to talk about, you know, the kingdom of God among his disciples. And so he proceeded in doing that. And so the next verse said, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God. In the NIV version, how hard it is for the rich people to enter the kingdom of God. Now, how many of us are rich this morning? Paano naman kami, Lord? Sana yan lang yan, di ba? You know, rich, you know that rich is being relative, right? The more rich you are, the more relatives you have, right? And so... We are all rich. Look at the person beside you. You are rich. Well, the question is, is Jesus really saying that it's impossible for the rich people to enter the kingdom of God? What about, you know, the value system of the world? Isn't it, you know, isn't it uh, necessary for us to be able to give our, our tithes and offerings and our contributions? Isn't it? You know, God is the one who said, you know, give your tithes and offerings and give to the, you know, give to the poor, help, use your worldly wealth to gain real riches. Wasn't that teaching coming from Him? Why is it all of a sudden He's now turning His teaching and saying it is hard or it is difficult for the rich people to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, he's, He continued by saying, again, I tell you, 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Can you, can you imagine the metaphor that Jesus is using in here? How many of you have seen a camel? Even on Facebook or whatever, or, or National Geographic, okay? You may have not been uh, in Middle East seeing an actual camel. I actually rode a camel when we were in Abu Dhabi uh, ministering in our church there. And it is rather big. And Jesus is saying it is, in, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. How many of you have seen an eye of a needle? If you are someone who's uh, like a DIY person, you've probably seen needles. And you know, some theologians are saying that the eye of a needle is actually a gate in Jerusalem. It's a very small gate that in order for a camel to go and enter there, a camel has to unburden itself, take away the load, and he has to actually kneel down in order for the camel to go through that gate called the eye of the needle. But guess what? I've been to Israel twice and there was no such gate. There's no such gate of the eye of the needle. In other words, Jesus is not referring to any gate in Israel, but he was referring to the real eye of the needle. So can you imagine the impossibility of how hard it is for rich people who are idolizing wealth. We're not just talking about rich people here. We're not isolating. Even the, you know, how many of you know that sometimes even poor people would idolize wealth? Because Jesus is just exposing what is an idol in our heart. But what he's saying, the point is this. It is really virtually impossible for us to be saved by trusting in our own doing. That is what God is saying. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Sometimes we value different kinds of people in church. But in reality, when God sees us, God sees us all as equals. Amen. There's no rich nor poor. We may come here and say, you know, I actually give half of the tithes of this church. You know, I, I was the one who actually put the aircon here. No, it's the hotel who put the aircon here. And sometimes you can have, actually have that attitude of entitlement that I did it. And I was the one who, you know, contributed majority of this. Let's be careful with that. But Jesus looked at them and he replied, With man, this is what? impossible but with God all things are possible you know when Jesus said this statement he was not just referring to prayer maybe some of you are believing for a miraculous healing or some financial breakthrough and how many of you know and agree with me that yes if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mountain be removed and nothing will be too difficult for God amen but yet God is using this statement in reference to salvation and not provision with man, this is impossible. With man, to be saved is impossible. With our own doing, it is impossible to be saved. Salvation is virtually unattainable with man. But with God, all things are possible. So we can only be saved solely by the grace of God. Amen. Not based on our qualification, not our accomplishment, not our service, not our contribution, not even the longevity in church. You know, I've been in the church for 25 years. Even before Alabang was planted, I was here already. 
You know, we may have that kind of attitude that I have been here. I've been here, been here, been that. Something like that, okay? <laughs> been here, done that. I've done everything. I've gone through the hoops. I finished all the classes. I finished all the one-to-one. I finished all the Victory Week and the Making Disciples classes. And I'm the one making disciples. In fact, I make more disciples than the pastors. You got to be careful because it's not about us. Jesus was actually also trying to expose something in the hearts of the disciples because Peter said in reply, and he received the challenge, if it is hard for the rich men to go to the kingdom of God because they are unwilling to give up, what about us? See, we have left everything and we followed you. What then will we have? Do you see the attitude of Peter here? He's comparing himself to the rich young ruler. And what he's saying is, that guy, it's hard for that guy to be saved. Because he's not willing to give up what he had. But Jesus, boss, teacher, I gave up everything. I gave up my fishing business for you. You told me one day to leave everything, to come and follow you. And here I am, I'm following you. Now he's asking this question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? You know, I've served and I've been here. I've been faithful. I'm committed. I'm devoted. I love my wife. I am faithful to one woman. And I've given my share of service in the church. I'm not just a member of the music team. I am a member of the ushering team, the kids' church team, the intercessory team, the hospitality team, and all the teams that you have in church. I am a member. What's in it for me? He was using the analogy of fairness. And he was talking about justice because this guy was not willing to give up. I gave everything up. For whom? For you. What will you give me? Peter was basically proud of himself that he had left everything. He left all so that he can follow Jesus And so Jesus took that cue and said this, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive what? A hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What he was saying to Peter, don't worry, Peter. You will definitely receive your reward. But that's not the point. Because many who are first will be last. And the last, first. Then he proceeded in sharing this parable. Are you getting the point here? Did you get the entire context? So that was the context why this parable was shared. So basically the name of this parable is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. But I'd like to rename it. I'd like to change the title. It's called the parable of the tambais. That's really what the parable was. It's the parable of the tambais. For those of you who are foreigners, tambay means in English, istambay. Okay? <laughs> Being idle, okay? doing nothing. And we've read that earlier. Three quick things about this parable is the equity of the world. Many times we look at things and privileges and rights and the justice system that we feel like we should be equals. We're saying, you know, the, 
the scales has to be equal when it comes to justice system. But how many of you know that sometimes the world's ways, or many times the world's ways, is not God's ways? Amen. In fact, His ways are higher than our ways. I'm not talking about the GPS ways. As I said earlier, you know, many companies would have regular performance appraisals. And we always look at it in terms of value system. What's my worth? What's my value? What was my contribution? Give me an equal amount of value for the work that I have done. I need to be paid this way because I have given this much. Now when you talk about the parables, we said that in the first week that parables normally point to the kingdom of God. Parables are basically stories about the kingdom of God. They reveal a spiritual truth even when they have been used, God has been using earthly stories. So this is basically a revelation of how the kingdom of God operates and how the kingdom of God works. And so let's go back to the story. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And so when you talk about early in the morning, we're talking about 6 a.m. We're talking about the first hour of the day. Now you have to look at how the Jewish people would interpret the, the order of the day. When you talk about the first hour, that's 6 a.m. There are like 12 hours in the whole day, right? How many hours do we have in the whole day? 24 hours, okay? No, I'm talking about day, okay? Day with sun, and then you have 12 hours at night. So you have 12 hours in the day when it's bright, and 12 hours at night when it's dark. So we're talking about a 12-hour day here. So when you talk about a first hour in the day, that's basically 6 a.m., okay? 6 o'clock a.m. And so he went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And he probably saw men who are fit, men who are strong, men who just came out of the gym and they're buffed. And he was looking at, wow, these guys are more than capable of carrying heavy loads in the vineyards. You know, we just, as you know, Pastor June was reporting on Cape Town and part of our, aside from the time in the conference, we were able to visit some vineyards in South Africa. It was beautiful. And, you know, we saw, you know, plantations of grape uh, uh, there in, in, in South Africa, in Cape Town. And so I'm imagining that the owner, the landowner of the vineyard probably own hectares and hectares of land and there's a, you know, a, a huge amount of harvest that need to be brought to the storehouse. So he started negotiating with his workers early in the morning, first thing in the day, 6 a.m. And he started, okay, uh, how much for a whole day's work? Maybe they're thinking, uh, you know, give us more than enough because, you know, we're qualified. You know, I am a strong guy. I can carry uh, three kaing uh, load of, uh, of grapes in one in one, uh, one trip. And so the, the master said, I don't know, maybe, uh, okay, would you go for like half a denarius? No, what about more? Okay, okay. So they all agreed a denarius a day. A denarius is actually a day's wages. I think if you have the ESV version, you will notice that there's a footnote there. It's equivalent to a day's wage. I researched on how much uh, the minimum wage right now in the Philippines is about 491 pesos if you live in Manila. 481, basic pay, 10 pesos, cost of living allowance. 
How many of you know that's not that much? That's about $10. But I am assuming that in the land of Israel, they're probably paying more than that because they assume that, you know, they, they have more than enough for the day and the master was more than willing to pay what was required by the law. And so they both agreed. He sent them into the vineyard after that. Now, in verse 3, it says, And going about the third hour, and what is the third hour here? If you would do the math. That's about 9 a.m. The master went out again about the third hour, and he saw others standing what? Stand by. This is the tambais. They were standing idle in the marketplace. They were standing idle in Nepakyu Mart. I don't know where it was. Okay? It was a marketplace. And so he told, and he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And did he say how much he will pay them? This time it was different. To the first group of workers, he said, I'll pay you a denarius a day. To the second group of workers, he said what? Whatever is right, I will give you. Those group of workers probably said, oh wow, the first batch of workers was promised a denarius a day. Okay. He's probably generous, so might as well just go and work in his vineyard. And so they went, going about the sixth hour. Here we see what time is that? 12 noon. He was still recruiting more tambais. And about the what? The ninth hour, he did the same at about 3 p.m. So you can imagine, the whole day, there's just three hours left in the day. And he was still recruiting because probably he saw, wow, we are not yet done with the work and there's so much harvest and we need more workers into the harvest field. Are you getting the picture here? You know, when you read the Bible, you've got to be imaginative. You have to imagine yourself, you know, being in the vineyard, walking, you know, and you have to imagine the tambais, okay? The, the PNB, you know, what the, what's a PNB? Palamuri ng binan or whatever, okay? Uh, something like that, okay? So... So we have all these people in the marketplace doing nothing. And he was recruiting them 12 noon at the 6th hour. And at the ninth hour, he was still recruiting them. And at about the what? The 11th hour. He went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because what? No one has hired us. Why did they say that? Maybe because they are like the rejects of society. When the master recruited the first guys, he was looking for people who are able-bodied guys, men who can carry big truckloads of grapes into the vineyards. And these are the guys who were like rejects. No one wanted to hire them. Because, I don't know, I mean, they're probably thin, they're scrawny, you know. When they stand up, it's not straight, you know, they're crooked. Or you can... You can be a good scarecrow or something like that. Okay, come on. You know, just join me in the vineyard. I need some more workers. At about what? The 11th hour. And that's about, what time is that? 5 p.m. And when the evening came, 6 p.m. came. The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. Beginning with the Last up to the first. Wow, so this is exciting, right? 
So here we see that those guys who were hired hired the last were the first ones to be paid. So it's more like a suspense type of a deal for those guys who worked during the beginning part of the day. Now this is where we see the economy of God. Because in the eyes of the world, things should be fair. What I work should be commensurate to the compensation that I will receive. We call it fairness. We call it justice. We call it equal rights. We call it, you know, however it is that you call it. It has to be fair. You know, I have three girls. One is already an adult and I have two younger daughters that are so cute. 11 and 10. And it is not seldom that I hear them bickering with one another and say, Daddy, Anna did this and it's unfair, you know, something like that. And so the other one is, but she did this to me, you know. And sometimes even they compare notes on how many rods I give to them. You only gave them three. I I received five, you know. So it's just the concept of fairness runs even in the minds of children. The equity of the world. But you know, how is the economy of God? The economy here is not talking about God's shrewdness or you know, God being prudent. The economy here means a financial system. How does the economy of the kingdom of God really work compared to the economy of the world? We know that His ways are not our ways. Ultimately, when you talk about the economy of God, God is the one who gives to us in accordance to however He pleases. And so verse 9, we look at the story and we pick it up from here. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, how many did they receive? Each of them received a denarius. Wow! So now the the first guys are probably thinking, wow, if they received a denarius, can you imagine how much I will receive? They only worked for an hour and I worked 12 hours. So they're probably counting on their fingers. I only have 10 fingers. It's not enough. But, but they're imagining, wow, I would probably receive 12 denarius for the day. They're, commute, they're computing. They're doing the math. But how much they receive? When those hired came first, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. How many of you would think, and as you read this story, that's not fair. That is not fair. If you would put your, you know, yourself in the shoes of those first-hour worker, and here you are, you've been working in your company, and I, if I may use the term, you have been slaving it like the older brother for years, and you've been faithful, and you've been competent, and among their ranks, there's no, you have no equal because you're there. But there's this new guy who just came along in your company and he basically overtook every one of you. And he was just hired early this year. You've been working in that company for at least 15 years and you stayed in that department for years, promoted just once, but you are expecting, hopefully I can be director someday. But there's this new guy who was just hired and he overtook everyone And even before the year was over, he was promoted to director. What would you feel? First, you have to ask, who is that guy? They have the same surname, so he's probably COO, child of owner, okay? So I don't know if that's the scenario, but somehow, if if he's not the child of owner, 
and he still overtook you. So, something's wrong here. You'd probably say it is unfair. And so what you would do is probably the same thing that the workers did. And their reaction was on receiving that salary, they grumbled or grumbled at the master of the house. You know what it means to grumble? You complain and protest about something in a bad-tempered, but typically muted way. You know, you know how it is? You, you know, that small dog mutt in the wacky race. I've been here. You know, I've been here working. I've been here. Staying. And you're spreading out this bad report among your, you know, among your co-employees. And here you are just not satisfied with the amount that you have received. And they basically said, saying, these last work only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. You know why many times we complain? We complain because we compare ourselves with others. That's really what triggers many of our complaints. When you feel like, I deserve more, but yet I got less. Then we complain, isn't it? And we say that it is unfair. Have you ever felt a victim of unfair system? Have you ever thought life is unfair? You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe you grew up in a home and you are two siblings, yet your other sibling got majority of the inheritance when your mom and your dad passed away. How many of you think that, that that's unfair? We grew up in the same house, went to the same school, did the same thing, but yet I got the minority of the share. Is life really unfair? And sometimes when you say life is unfair, what we're saying is God is unfair. Because how many of you know that God ultimately is the one who's sovereign over our lives and He allows and even not allow things to happen to us? When we say that God is unfair, maybe because of the unequal distribution of wealth. Why was I born in this kind of family and why did this guy born, was born in the Ayala family or in the C family or in whatever? I grew up poor. It's a hard life for me. Couldn't find a job. We think God or life is unfair because those who are good are not blessed and we see the wicked being prosperous. Sometimes we look at ourselves, Lord, I am a Christian, I am a believer, I am. And yet you have a neighbor who's not a believer, whom you think is wicked, but yet you see him driving a nice flashy car, you know, driving a Porsche, you know, he just got a Hummer or he got a, you know, I don't know, uh, whatever, okay, the, the latest cars out there. And he's got three houses in your neighborhood aside from the houses that he had. One in Buraka and, you know, other stuff. And you would say, it's unfair. Here I am, Lord. I'm slaving it and I'm serving you. And you haven't even blessed me. It's hard for me to even afford the, you know, the, the, the education of my kids. Or I'm having a hard time putting food on the table here. The question is, is God really unfair? Sometimes you feel life is unfair when we see an innocent being a victim of the justice system. When an innocent guy goes to jail, we, we say, that's unfair. 
and the guilty would go unpunished, life is unfair. You know, sometimes we really don't understand how life goes, isn't it? But we just have to trust in the sovereignty of God. When we start to complain that God is unfair, what we are actually demanding is justice from God. That is what we're demanding. When we're saying, God, you are unfair. I deserve more than this. What you're saying is, okay, you want justice because you want to get what you deserve. My question for us folks this morning is, do we really want justice? Do we really want what we deserve from God? We have a whacked out idea of what justice is all about. But he replied in verse 13, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Again, when you talk about the parable, this represents the kingdom of God and the, the master of the vineyard talks about God himself. And what he's saying is, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Wasn't I fair? Wasn't that the agreement that we had when you started working in the first hour of the day? Uh, yes. And didn't I give you what we agreed on? Many times we complain because of the unfair treatment of God with others. When we feel that they are more blessed than us, we say it's unfair, but in reality we don't deserve anything before God. You and I do not deserve anything. We find ourselves in that same story, that parable. We are all the workers. We are the tambais. We're doing nothing. We're the ones doing idle things, the reality. No one is seeking God. God does not reward us according to our performance. He does not require according to what our sins deserve. You know, it's, it's, it's about, it's, it's a different kind of economy that God actually uses for us. But then in verse 14, he said to the first hour workers, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. You know, ultimately, God will show grace and mercy to whomever He wants to show grace and mercy to. Amen. And you may be a first-hour worker or you may be an 11th-hour worker, but in the eyes of God, you and I were all created equally in the eyes of God. It's not about what we have done. It's not about our performance. It's not about you know, your longevity in service to God or commitment or even devotion. The level of devotion to Christ is not even measured with that. I read more Bible than you. I pray more than you. It's not about that, even. How would you feel if the person who betrayed you suddenly becomes more blessed than you? How would you feel if when you go to heaven, you see someone who is known as a mass murderer, let's say, just for the sake of example, Adolf Hitler. And you have the picture of Adolf Hitler killing, what, six million Jews? And you found out when you get to heaven, he is right there worshiping the Lord. What would you do? L Lord, unfair. What would you do if at the last hour, before he died, he cried out to God, just like the thief on the cross? At the very last moment in his life, this guy 
He was about to die. And you know what he said to Jesus? He rebuked the other criminal because he was hurling insult at him. And he said, you know, he, this guy does not even deserve to be here. We deserve what we have. And then he spoke to the Lord. Jesus, remember M, remember E, put them together, remember me. He basically said that. Look at your Bible, Luke 23 verse 42. He said, remember me when you enter paradise. And how did Jesus respond to the guy? Magdusa ka. Ang dami mong inocho. Mamatay ka muna, pumunta ka muna sa purgatorio. Did he say that? He did not. You know what he said? Today, everybody say today. Today, you will be with me in paradise just like that. An 11th hour worker did not even do anything to deserve to go to heaven. How unfair. Maybe Peter was watching in front of Jesus and this team. Bakit? But unfair. Pakahirap ako dito. Ang dami ko sila. Tapos mamamatay pa ako eventually. Can you imagine? Because Peter is about to die and he was supposed to be hanged upside down eventually and sacrifice his life for the sake of the gospel. But this guy who's about to die because of the crime he has committed is about to enter the paradise ahead of him. Are you seeing the picture? Talk about fairness and justice here. It is definitely not fair in our eyes. Mahamin, if you know, in the eyes of God, it is all about His generosity and not about our performance or accomplishment. Amen? Can we just give the Lord praise this morning? It's not about what you and I have ever done or will do that makes us qualified to enter the kingdom of God. It's all about the extravagance of God's grace. In reality, that is the, the whole point of the parable of the tambais. It's about God's generosity. It's about this master of the vineyard who's calling out everybody and saying, guys, I just want to be generous. I just want to go and get you all and I want you to be with me. And I want to give you things that you don't even deserve. Because of my grace and my mercy. Many times you cry out for justice. Justice is actually getting what we deserve. But God is talking about mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve to die on that cross. We deserve to, be, we, we deserve to go to hell. We are criminals. We sin against God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve death, but yet He extended mercy. Instead of justice, He gave us mercy and He gave us grace. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Ultimately, we don't deserve life. We don't deserve peace. We don't deserve healing. We don't deserve, deserve uh, blessings. But yet, God gave it to us anyway. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Ultimately, when you look at this parable, really God is unfair. Or is He really? God is unfair to Himself. In reality, He is so fair to us. But He's so unfair to Himself. This picture shows you how that is so true. That He is so unfair to Himself. 
He gave us things that we do not deserve. And how did he end this parable? And he said this, so the first, so the last will be the first, and the first will be the last. And sometimes when you interpret this scripture, we're probably talking about, okay, the first guy who became a Christian will be the last, and me who came in last will be the first. Kind of like that thief on the cross. Sometimes we look at it that way, but in reality, he's not talking about us. He's talking about himself. I am the first, the alpha, the beginning. Even before you came, I am here. And I choose to be the last because of you. He's referring to himself, who was the first. And he will replace himself with us. Check out what he did for us on the cross. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And God made him who had no sin to be what? To be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, who was first, became last, so that we all who are last can become, can become first in terms of righteousness. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became what? Poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. God who was first became last for us so that we all can become rich before the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming what? A curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. God, who is first, became last. So that you and I, who are last, can be first in the area of blessings unto the Lord. Amen. The whole point of the parable is this. God is generous. We don't deserve anything. Yet He gave us all things. Amen. Can we all give the Lord praise this morning? Let's all stand up right now. Thank you, Lord. Let's just bow our heads right now in gratitude before the Lord. Lord, indeed, you have given us things that we don't deserve. You've given us life in replacement of death. You've give us, given us blessing in place of curses. You've given us prosperity in replacement for lack and poverty. Lord, we thank you that the Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. So that in turn, we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that you have treated us as your people. Not in accordance with what our sins deserve, because you have extended mercy and grace to us. And not justice that we're crying out for. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you have not received the mercy of God. Maybe this is your first time here and maybe you haven't given your heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you haven't received His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness and you haven't received eternal life. Today is the day of your salvation, the Bible says. If you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, do not harden your heart because I believe God has ordained you to be here. And as all eyes are closed, and all head bowed down, if you are here this morning, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And I want everything, everybody to just join me here in, the, in, in, in prayer. Let's just pray. Father, I come before you.
and I humble myself and I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need a savior thank you for giving up of your life on that cross thank you Jesus for dying on that cross and pay the penalty for my sins I confess that Jesus is my Lord and I believe that he is raised from the dead therefore I know and I can be sure that I am saved thank you for giving me your mercy thank you for forgiving my sins all that I have done in the past my sins today and my sins in the future all has been paid for because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and I thank you for the new life that you have given to me in Jesus name I pray amen and amen keep giving the Lord praise for that <laughs>